Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy, home improvement specialist and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Dude, how you doing? Oh, good. Good. Uh, a home improvement specialist is probably like a real stretch. We can say like I can paint within the color, you know, like a coloring book, essentially. That's what I can do. Well, I still might have to call you. Did I tell you my dog put a hole in my drywall? <laughs> so I, I've got to learn how to patch drywall, which we'll just be honest, not in my wheelhouse, not my yeah. kind of a thing to learn to do. <laughs> but I was home. It was actually during our last episode. <laughs> I didn't hear this. I walk upstairs and I see my dog Snout had chewed into the drywall and apparently Dang. she's going through like a separation anxiety stage and will tear up the house and yeah. But yes, there is a sop it looks like I've completely lost my mind and <laughs> got on one knee and punched a wall. Like it's that yeah, high, yeah. you know? Okay. <laughs> um but I gotta be honest with you, Cameron, that's not my kind of rage. I am the king. This office, when things are not going well in arena like they did today, when you know I hit the you know mm. old eight in a row loses <laughs> lo- losing streak, uh, this pin goes flying. Sure, I've thrown sure. it. I've thrown it many times. My favorite target <laughs> is the closet. I don't know if you've got a you know couch pillow you scream into or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we got I'm, this room sound treated, you know. So I mean, safe space, safe space. <laughs> Uh, Cameron, knowing you, I know you just go whatever, turn it off, and walk away. Right? <laughs> you you probably have enough self control to actually get up and get away from the computer. I don't have that in me. So <laughs> anyway, uh, but you've been playing a lot of Paper Magic, right? I have. Um, I was going to play some standard this week, uh, but Pioneer was happening. And dude, this is the thing I love about Pioneer. It's such a new format that new cards get introduced that aren't from Pioneer Masters. They're just from the previous, like the newest standard set. And it completely makes a new deck that is playable, super fun, and mixes it up. It's amazing. It's like exactly what I want in a non rotating format. Um, might I interest you in a Pioneer Blue White control list? Playing yes, you can. four of. Yes, you can. Uh, we got some Teferis. We got mm-hmm. Narset. We've okay. got the new Wandering Emperor. And I think the card that might be for non-rotating formats, the probably one of the most important cards to be printed for Pioneer, Otherworldly Light. Uh, I think that this card is as important for Pioneer as what Path to Exile is for Modern. Um, oh, wow. It is an incredibly good removal spell. Like, I mean, bonkers good. And it deals with so much of the battlefield um, when, when playing against something like these low-to-the-ground creature decks. Um, like the Blue-Red Phoenix deck, which I still have, I love, and I'll continue to play. But just having that otherworldly light, discarding one card, I can get rid of the Phoenix. I can just get rid of a thing in the ice extremely easily, extremely efficiently. And the downside of just pitching a card when you're playing things like Shark Typhoon, when you're playing all these other like cycling cards, 
um, memory lap, like memory deluge. I mean, so many like great draw spells. Pitching the one white card or two white cards if you have to, totally fine. Keeps you like just going, right? So there's plenty of fuel for this deck. Um, dude, I've. <laughs> I haven't been this smitten with a deck for a long, long time. Like, it, it's really speaking my language. I love the addition of new things with, like, just these powerhouse hitters like Teferi, um, Absorb, Supreme Verdict. Like, I mean, like, all your, like, who's who of, like, classic blue-white control on top of some of these new cards. Um, Iganjo, City of the Empire, continues to just be, like, absurd. Really like, good, yeah. absurd, absurd. Um... The blue one, which I don't own yet, um, Soaring City, I need to get that one just to have some extra recursion uh, to bring back a Teferi if I need to or something like that. That's the one card that I feel like I need to tune a little bit more, um, but it's really, really good. Um, so I ended up going 2-2. I wasn't great. In my list, I absolutely need it optimized, and I played against a mirror match, and that was really interesting, but like clearly the opponent was playing... Dream Trawler and Holebreaker Horror, and, like, I subbed out almost all of my, like, Supreme Verdicts and whatnot. Um, and so it was, like, just, like, my sideboard was just not optimized the way that his was. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, an absolute blast. And I love that I was able to take all these parts that I had from a standard deck for, and, like, oh, look, they fit perfectly in this blue-white control list that I have for Modern and now Pioneer. It's great. Yeah, can we talk about the Wandering Emperor really quickly? Because Otherworldly Light, I agree with you, and I have yet to cast the card. I was okay. like literally saving up wild cards to get into an Esper control deck for standard. Yeah. That's um, like Esper, Planeswalker, Super Friends, it seems to be doing pretty well. Um, but yeah, I haven't cast it yet. However, Wandering Emperor, I know, has also been making waves in Legacy. Um, and I can tell you, as somebody who played Miracles slash Stoneblade, that is almost the exact set of card text that I would want in a card. Because mm. <coughs> you oftentimes, whenever, so, and I, this is a while ago, right? Like four years ago or whenever we went to St. Louis to play Legacy and I played Miracles. Um, and I think I, I think I like ended on like 14th in the tournament that day. Um, and Miracles was great for me, but the big house that I had was I would side in uh, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. And that was such a big game in Legacy. <laughs> like, yeah. there were so many decks that once you get to that point, they cannot compete with that massive card advantage. Well, Wandering Emperor allows you to kind of do the things you otherwise would do, hold up counterspells, et cetera, and then, you know, flash into instep because that's the, like, inherent downside of Planeswalkers within a Miracles or Control Shell in those old formats is tapping out on your turn is a huge problem. Yeah. So, <coughs> just... A really cool card, and maybe one that I initially underrated quite a bit um, in terms of its utility in older formats. Modern, I think, is kind of at a different ball game yeah. right now. Um, I have seen online some people have taken to calling uh, modern uh, modern horizons block constructed, and I really like that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, because when uh you look at some of the decks. It's a really small list of cards because you know, remember, Fetchlands have been in Modern Horizons. Mm -mm. So it's like, what card, what deck has zero Modern Horizons cards at this stage? Is it just Storm? Uh, man, because they haven't printed any Storm cards because they understand. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you'll yeah, get tendrils or some some awful variant of tendrils. <laughs> I wouldn't say no. Yeah. I mean, at this point, why not just give me dark red and tendrils? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Just Yog Moss will. Right? <laughs> all these people that say they didn't all old spells are worthless and all the new stuff is so powerful. Well, I think, you know, just give me Yog will. Mind's desire. I can make those things work, Cameron. I'm sure um, you could. <laughs> I, I will I will innovate and somehow combine those cards. Yeah. I don't know how, um, but I will come up with a way. So, hey, I played a little bit more standard this week than I did in previous weeks. And I can tell you I'm starting to cool on this format a little bit. Not because I think it's bad, but I think it's getting a little more settled. Also, I have just had the most vicious losing streak trying out a bunch of different decks. Because I'm trying to, like, get to a stage where... I don't want to believe Blue-Red Dragons is still the best deck. It kind of still feels like it is to me. Like, look, there's mono-white, there's mono-green, there's white-black mid-range. There are options. Mm-hmm. Um, I played... Have you seen the Jeskai combo deck? No. It's, it's like a... Basically, there's a bunch of different little combos in it, but you can... It's all built around Lear, Stormbreath Dragon, and there's a there's that uh, time walk that's like three man and you lose the game, or at the end of the turn, or you can pl- cast the cleave cost. Well, you can cast it with Galvanic Iteration, mm. and you know then you could also like pump up a Stormbreath Dragon to an unreasonable amount. Yeah, Goldspan Dragon. You, uh, yeah, and then what did I say? Stormbreath. Yeah, Which oh. I believe. <laughs> It's an old callback, man. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's where my head's at right now. Uh, oh, the good old days, Cameron. <laughs> Theros. Um, anyway, but uh, but you can use Kazul's like Fury, whatever the fling spell is that's currently mm-hmm. legal. Yeah. And you can like pump up a Stormbreath Dragon like a million D times. You can also like Galvanic. Did I say Stormbreath Dragon again? <laughs> you did. <laughs> whatever. It's a stupid five mana dragon. Okay. <laughs> Thunder Maw Hellkite. I know exactly what you're talking about. Every <laughs> listener knows exactly what you're talking about. Keep on going. But I, I've kind of come to the conclusion, while I realize they're good, I hate Galvanic Iteration decks. Like, I hate that card. It's yeah. It feels kind of like Chun-Li. Like, whenever I play against Chun-Li against a player that's good, I get worked. And then I think, you know what? I should try and play Chun-Li. And I just, I, it doesn't click with my brain at all. Right? 100% agree on that. Yes. And so I've not really liked that deck. However, a deck I've had substantially more fun with um, that is probably worse. This is not necessarily a good deck. There is a Delver Secrets deck, Cameron. It is like the $80 standard blue-red. Hey, guess what? Most of the cost of the deck is in the mana. Mm-hmm. It's got Delver Delver Secrets. Uh, you know, you play Consider, you play uh, the the one mana, the one snow mana uh, Spirit Guide that you can pump up, right? Okay. Magmatic Channeler, which is the one three that if you have four instant or sorceries in the graveyard, it becomes a four four, right? And it just it's Delver Classico. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the, yeah. the games that you win, you feel like you stole, right? Like, you just clawed and fought and then got them right at zero, right? When you were at six, that kind of thing. Um, I will say there are turns with this deck, though, 
there's basically no standard deck right now that if you flip two Delvers in the first two turns, they're going to be able to keep up with you. Like, some of the control variants, I guess, could hit, you know, um, mm-hmm. two Blood Chiefs uh, Thirst in a row or something. But most of the standard decks just don't have the wherewithal to deal with that. Um, even, even like the blue-red decks, which, you know, you think like, oh, well, they've got Spike Field Hazard and all these mm-hmm. burn spells. A lot of times, they're still, like, they've got to find it. And if you yeah. flip a couple Delvers, they ain't finding it in time, right? Those two mana, that two mana you've invested in those two Delvers has done its work, right? So yeah, um, I would say if you're looking for a good time or you want a really low wild card investment deck that's standard quite good, because if you look, even like things that you think of as low cost decks, so like in the real world, in paper, nine enchantments would cost you nothing. But if you're looking at it on Arena, it's actually, again, a lot of wild cards. Mono Green, very similar thing, right? Like, I don't know what mm-hmm. Mono Green costs to build on paper. I would assume it's not much. But Mono, mono White is a similar thing, right? Where this one is, like, straight up lots of uncommons and commons. And you could kind of probably cheat on the mana if you had to, right? Like, you don't have to play all eight duels mm-hmm. if you're short on wild cards and still have a f- totally functional deck. Um, but both of these decks are kind of gimmicky uh and were meant to be a change of pace but resulted in me throwing a couple of the aforementioned pins uh across the room um because i was playing so poorly and i was so angry with myself so you know just good healthy magic player stuff (laughs) super healthy (laughs) yeah super healthy super healthy what else would it be right is it really a session of magic if you don't hate yourself the whole way through it i i mean something that you have taught me (laughs) yeah Yeah, self-loathing. It's the key. It's the key to getting better. All right, Cameron, let's get out of the segment. We've just got, I mean, it's kind of a band cast. So we've got to talk about it when we get back. All right, Cameron. So, you know, the companion mechanic is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, uh, Luris got banned. I mean, there were some popper bannings. I don't know that we're really qualified to talk about it, but Luris... Um, banned in Modern and Pioneer, kind of out of nowhere. We really didn't get a warning about it. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been like super competitive play stuff. And by the way, Loris hasn't really seemed to make much of a spa- splash at all in Pioneer. I mean, Loris has been much more of a legacy modern thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on this, dude? Uh, not surprising when you have a past in flames like effect on a three, two lifelink creature, um, you Mm. know, where it's also an extra card in your hand. I mean, let's just get that out of the way as well. So yeah, man, uh, I will just continue, uh, down this trek of two years now. Um, companions, absolute most garbage mechanic I've ever been a part of in, my history of playing magic. I just, I think it's awful. Um, I don't like even Yorian or something like that. I still just don't like it. I just don't ever want to see it again. So uh, I'm glad they fixed it with whatever they did, but it still just wasn't going to fix it. I mean, the cost of a, of a Luris, right? Three mana is just nothing for like modern, absolutely nothing. And the return on investment is just, absurdly busted and if it's on par with anything else going on in modern it's still just too much that one extra card 
Yeah, so what? We're a year away from Yorian getting the same treatment. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, you look at the control decks in Modern, Yorian's a staple. You yeah. look at the control decks in Pioneer, Yorian's a staple. And, like, you, the, the other thing about this is, like, there are all kinds of decks that should play some of these other companions kind of free, like Gigantha, you know, and doesn't. And it just could be a freebie. And I think we we're actually kind of spared a lot of the onslaught of what the companions could or should be because we don't actually have a competitive scene right now. Like, hmm. I think if we were really seeing a Pro Tour in Modern or Grand Prix in Modern, half the decks in the top eight would have companions, right? And again, I don't know how many times in Historic I've played against a control deck and they just have a Giganta at, like as their companion just because it's a free card, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not playing the way it was intended to be played or whatever, right? Um, is Giganta the right one I'm thinking of? But you yeah, know what I mean, yeah. the one they like... The, the elk one that, that allows you to make sure you don't have any other creatures in your deck, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, uh, okay, well, that's that's it. Okay, fine. And again, we've kind of come to the point where the math checks out that Dorian was almost always worth it. Like, mm -hmm. you could just always make your deck work on that level, and the extra card was just a, a stone-cold killer, right? Um, so anyway... Uh, that being said, I'll probably buy myself a Yorian Pioneer deck and see if I can live that glory, <laughs> at, le at least for a little while. Sure. Cameron. Yeah. Um, so I, I I think this is a good ban. I'm glad that Gurmag Angler is going to get some time back in the sun. Yeah. And let's not even get started on Tassiger, old nasty Tassie. You know, like... <laughs> Forgot about Tassiger. <laughs> Mr. Banana. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude. Dude, I, I he he was a card that when he first got printed, I was like, "This is nuts." He'll see yeah. play in every form, but you know, yep. of course, they didn't think about Caracas like making it completely <laughs> worthless. Um, but yeah, man, both those cards super good, super good. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so the other thing I just want to touch upon before we get into our in-depth talk on some other things, um, there are two major announcements coming this month. So we are three days out, Cameron, from Oof. the Arena Economy live stream. I, you know, it's the hope that kills you, right? Yeah, right. I, <laughs> I really want it to be a good look at how we can improve the economy, what our plans are. Um, I'm really worried it's going to be a, this, this is the way it is, so tough mm -hmm. you know um what do you th i mean dude I, we need I, to I guess, have yeah i i guess i we haven't done like a lot of research on this or a big talk on it so i feel bad just kind of landing this giant question on you but what could arena do with their economy that would make you happier yeah yeah i mean there needs to be a come to jesus moment and like you i do worry that Whatever this live stream, it's just gonna it. They're gonna spin it in every way to Albuquerque, making it like how amazing Arena has been and how good it is for the health of Magic. Um, I don't know your question. What could they do to fix Arena? 
At this point, I, I, I mean, first and foremost, I think the most obvious thing is let us dust cards. Fix that wild card economy so that if this is a truly free-to-play thing and I have, like, however many years of, like, doubled-up commons that I'll never need, give me a way to dust those. I mean, I think that's number one. Number one needs to happen. I, I mean, the thing that I want is for them to say, yo, guys, premium. Uh, here's a premium tier that you pay in monthly. And, you know, seeing, seeing past the free-to-play model and look at the Game Pass model, right? Yeah. And being really aggressive on that front. Like, if I were at WotC, I would say, okay, how do we get our services bundled together in a way that makes people feel comfortable paying in like, do they get promos? Do they get so, a certain number of drafts per month? Do they get D&D stuff? Like, I guess D&D does maps. Guys, I'm sorry. I really don't know D&D that well. But, like, <laughs> narrative stuff, whatever it is that D&D does, right? Like, how do you turn what you have into a premium subscription model? Right? Because I think that would be profitable, and I think that's what a lot of hardcore players would want. And it's a really effective way to monetize your hardcore audience without them feeling like they're getting ripped off, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's paying for Game Pass and going, this is a ridiculous fee, right? It's ridiculous how much Halo you can play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Microsoft is making a killing on it, yeah. right? And you could say the same thing about Apple Music or, you know, what have you. Like, I feel like for a certain class of customer, we don't want to be hit with the free-to-play model. That might work for a certain group, and I think you still need to offer that. But saying to this, hey, guys, we know you're committed. We know you're ambassadors for our game. We want to monetize in a way that can kind of give you an unlimited play uh, experience or more value for your buck. Not, guys, gems, 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 gems. And remember that time we were going to charge two wild cards for a store? Well, we didn't do that. And Cameron... You can get alchemy versions of cards you already own free. Free, free, free. Also, scared to death that this is going to be, again, a giant apology letter, or like maybe apology is the wrong word, a giant series of excuses for alchemy. Mm -hmm. And a product that I think is, again, continuing to suffer. I don't hear a lot of people talk about it. I don't see a lot of coverage for it on almost any magic website. Um, and it's been like... The last alchemy tweet I saw only had five respondents, and four of them were like, please stop with alchemy. <laughs> <laughs> the other one was a robot. <laughs> um, and so I don't know if they need to like buy some more social engagement on these alchemy posts. <sighs> but yeah, so look, I'm hoping against hope, right? <clears throat> what I think is a safer bet is their competitive play stream at the end of the month. I think they may be now, for better or for worse, and again, this isn't me trying to shove an opinion down anyone's throat, I feel like that we've kind of gotten to a point with the pandemic where people are comfortable gathering again, right? Or a giant mm -hmm. chunk of them. So, Watsi has got to monetize that as well, kind of reclaim what they once controlled. And again, this does not equal pro play. I said this on the last podcast. Competitive play does not necessarily equal pro play. I think they're going to go to a more amateur model, but they're going to look to get live events juiced again. 
Good. Because that's a huge part of their business, right? Like, why, what else could the announcement be? Mm-hmm. More arena? 100%. Yeah. <laughs> guys, guys, guys. Big competitive play announcement. We're going to have tournaments on arena. Like, okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you don't <Slow> say. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, Cameron, I'm excited for some catastrophic disappointment later this month. Uh, I'm sure we'll cover it in depth and word for word. Anyway, (laughs) we're going to talk, we're going to talk Batman and Elden Ring and Drive to Survive and our normal stick. We'll be right back. All right, Cameron. So let's, let's just start with what we've been playing. I've been playing Horizon Forbidden West. Hmm. It will not even come close to ending. Yeah. I will say uh, it's probably like that sense of discovery that you it sounds like you're getting from Elden Ring. I don't know that I'm getting as much in Horizon Forbidden West, but I'm still having these like moments where the, you know, the PlayStation 5 horsepower kicks in and you can really get like you know, you look out over a valley as the sun's mm. rising. You can literally see the shadow go over. And then there's a dinosaur that is like got to be 40 or 50 foot tall in the valley below. Mm. And it's just, there's those moments. It's still a great game. God, I'm excited for Elden Ring. Tell me how excited I should be. It's, oh, dude. Um, I, continuing to just be blown away with the scale of this game. Um, as I was telling you in the pre-show, I thought I got to what was essentially the end of the map and you open a gate and it's like, here's where the real game starts. <laughs> it was like, you know, like, oh, okay. So <laughs> training wheels are off. Now it's time to go. Um, I think here's my criticism that I have when compared to something like Sekiro. Um, Sekiro is, I think, just going to continue to be, for me, my favorite from software game the punishing difficulty of that and how you had to get good in order to progress made that game what it was elden ring because it's so open and diverse and this is not it's not a knock against it because it's just incredible it's beautiful and like that they, they give you the ability to literally go anywhere even places that you were completely outleveled you can go there and you can cheat your way through and do like all the classic Dark, dark Souls, you know, <laughs> things that you can do with like a puny bow and arrow and take down a bot. You know, like all those things still exist. But I feel like I, I'm able to level up to a, such a degree that I'm not getting good at the game. I'm just getting absurdly overpowered. Mm-hmm. And... It doesn't make it easier per se, but I just don't feel like I, like the the amount that I'm putting into it, I'm not getting that return on investment in the same way that Sekro was giving me. So that's like my I guess my criticism of it. But my God, this is like the best game ever. <laughs> it is so good. <laughs> so is the thing that's good about it the? So I don't necessarily want to know narrative spoilers, but like mm-hmm. Sekiro also took a big, huge jump forward in terms of story. Mm-hmm. But when the little bit I've played at Elden Ring felt a lot more like a Souls game, and that it's a little bit more tonal, a little bit more like you would have to dig deep to know what's going on. I would Is argue that, that that's where Elden Ring 
continues to go. If that's the experience you've had, that's kind of where I've been throughout the entire thing. I mean, there's some great beats and some story moments and some of those like side quests that you think that you're doing. um, I don't know. They don't seem as definitive as they do within something like Sekiro, where it's like, I know the story that I'm following. I know the path that I'm supposed to be taking as I'm leveling up. Yeah, I would also say there's there was a lot of really cool like narrative parallels with what your character was doing in Sekiro. Like the whole thing about is about discipline and the character like and that's what you have to be as the player, right? Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so like and there was also there's also kind of the story like about like how death affects people and then they do this literal mechanic where you dying affects the other people in the world. And so they did some kind of next-level narrative stuff, I thought, in Sekiro. Um, And it's okay for them to take a step back, which I guess Elden Ring was in development before Sekiro. Oh, wow. So so that makes sense with the scale stuff. That really does make sense, yeah. Um, That they've been just pushing on it this long and working on it this long. And by the way, it's worth pointing out, From Software used to come out with games at a regular clip. They had the series called Armored Core, and it was like an annual franchise. Hmm. (coughs) So they have a lot of people (laughs) working on these games. Um, But, dude, I'm so excited. I keep waiting on there to be any kind of patch so I can get, like, slightly better performance. Yeah. Um, Don't sacrifice that at all. (laughs) Don't sacrifice that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also going to just be a really good like adventure for me. Um, so before we talk about Batman, I do want to mention the newest season of Drive to Survive came out. And this is my favorite Netflix show. It totally got me, like many Americans, right? Mm-hmm. Got me really involved in F1 racing. Uh, and I don't know if you know this, but like F1 is threatening to eclipse NASCAR in terms of U.S. popularity. That's incredible. <laughs> and it's almost entirely on the back of this show. Um, but it's really become a huge <laughs> thing. And <coughs> anyway, um, it's really interesting because now I've actually watched several seasons of F1. And I know what happened in the season. And I'm watching this kind of behind-the-scenes version of it. And a lot of times I'm disappointed by what they put in or left out or didn't discuss. But... Um, it's it's still a really like the the access compared to American sports shows is unbelievable. There's so much more behind the scenes in the rooms, all those things where the NFL and I know you don't take in a lot of this. The NFL is hyper protective of the behind the scenes stuff, like to a shocking degree. Whereas mm-hmm. this, like like you see people, the you know the drivers break down, like have kind of emotional struggles, this kind of thing. You just don't see that with the, you know, the NFL stuff. <coughs> they make the NFL behind the scenes makes it seem like it's just the best time to be an athlete. Um, however, it's also kind of funny seeing a lot of kind of the, the 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 backlash by people that follow sports and follow this sport, but don't necessarily have an understanding of how TV is made, because there's a lot mm. of people going, you know what? It seems like they're manufacturing a lot of conflicts or taking audio out of context, or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, so basically every reality show you've ever seen in your entire life. Editing 101, son. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so that's just kind of been the fascinating thing, is people saying, you know, this driver and this driver actually get along in real life, but the show makes it seem like they're a little frosty towards each other. And it's like, yeah, dude. Yeah, what do you think? (laughs) 
what do you think happens on these these uh, shows? Even like cooking shows, right? They make one little comment seem like, oh my gosh, what a blow up, right? Um, but but the best episode was, and I don't know how much you followed this. There is a guy on a team that is a Russian oligarch's son, and is entirely on the team because his billionaire dad is donating enough money on the team to get this guy. And this guy finished dead last basically in every race. Is a terrible <laughs> was a terrible driver. And um they of course shot and edited this, but later on, like like a day or two before the show came out, he was booted because of the Russian athletes not being allowed to compete in international competitions. Oh man. Okay. And so the team had to drop his dad as a sponsorship, who like I said, is an oligarch. And you think, oh man, that that's really interesting. And then you watch the episode, and it is crazy. It is crazy to see how much of just a spoiled rich kid this guy is. Yeah. And like it's complete like just wor- it's just worth watching just for that episode. That's incredible. I made it um, to the first season and it's great. And so I need to watch two, three, four now. Yeah. I mean, it's worth watching just because the just shocking amount of money that's put into this for a sports show. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's F1 writ large, right? Like, yeah. you know, the, the Mercedes team has 2,000 people working on the race cars. <laughs> okay. Like, just the scale and the money that goes into the, all this stuff is just crazy. And that's reflected in the F1 show. I mean, man, you with your iPhone could make Monaco look like an amazing place to be. Uh, but once they get like drone shots and stuff, you're like, good lord, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I want to talk about the Batman. The Batman. I've seen it. You've seen it. Lots of people have seen it. Looks like we're headed mm-hmm. for a sequel. Cameron, I think it might be the best Batman movie. So it's, here's what uh, I did. Yeah, yeah. I went. Immediately afterwards, and I rewatched The Dark Knight, which I thought was the slam dunk, and I don't want to take away anything away from The Dark Knight. No. In its moment, in its time, amazing. And I think we can all agree, maybe the best, you know, uh, genre fiction performance of our lives, probably, in Heath Ledger's Joker. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's, it's, yeah. it's like iconic, right? It's iconic. Are you, yeah. But the thing that stuck out to me is there are a lot of rough moments to those scripts that I had forgotten. Mm. And, I, and th- I love the Nolan trilogy and I love what it did, but it really sticks out to me in moments, in particular scenes. But then there are, like when I stopped and thought about the one-on-one dialogues in those movies, they don't really stand out that well. Mm-hmm. Right? In the same way that you know, in this current Batman movie, there's a great scene where Batman's in a kind of quasi-police holding area, and he's talking with Jim Gordon, and they have this kind of, you know, they're working together, but they're acting like they're not moment. There's not a moment like that in any of the Nolan movies where it's really about character that makes you end up rooting for Batman. Yeah, yeah. It's and a great so, example. Yeah. And so, like... All these movies are dark or whatever, and I know this movie's taking a lot of heat for being dark, but again, I think I mentioned that last week. That's To me, that's what the character is, mm-hmm. right? It's like complaining about the Punisher using firearms or something. It's just like, 
this kind of is what it is, you know. Yeah, Conan yeah. has swords, um, but like those moments where you're seeing that he's actually trying to root out the corruption and it's not easy made me root for him a little bit more. Whereas I feel like the Nolan's Batman stuff was much more about the mythology of Batman. Yeah. And kind of carrying that over into Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character at the end, which was a cool handoff that kind of amounted to nothing, I suppose. Um, but just, but just felt like reading a Batman comic. Like you were talking yeah. about the journaling and stuff. Like, man, that was a great point. It was just, it was just like I was reading an, a, a story arc in, you know, Legends of the Dark Knight or Detective Comics or whatever. Yeah. The best story arc, no, but yeah, but really, really well executed. Um, and I want to just get your opinion on this because I we hadn't really talked about it. I don't know what this is called. What technique they used. Because I don't think it's a, a depth of field, really. But whenever you were looking at the frame, a lot of the edges were intentionally like gauzy and blurred in a way. Yeah. yeah. To make it look Vignetted like. Vignetted in a way. Yeah. 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 Kind of yeah. slightly illustrated on the edges. And even though I love the Nolan movies and I've never seen a Matt Reeves movie, I thought this had such a good specific vision for how it needed to look more so than any Batman movie I've seen. It just had a, a mood. Mm-hmm. And um, I just I just love the way it was shot, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. I 100% agree on that. Like, for me, the vibe, everything from, like, the way Gotham was kind of portrayed to what you're talking about with the cinematography, the lens choices, focal lighting, all of that stuff kind of created this vibe of Batman reading kind of like 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 it kind of like an artist's take on Batman which I really really mm-hmm. dug um thing that's probably actually stuck with me the longest actually is exactly what you're talking about there yeah yeah and now we know what Batman's favorite Nirvana song is apparently so <laughs> now question is have you seen Lego Batman have you seen this movie uh I believe I have okay yeah um but that's my entire thing with like, I mean, he has a song called Darkness, No Parents. Like, you know, it's like a oh, metal yeah, yeah. song. That's Batman. <laughs> like, so it's going to be dark. He's going to be a moody dude. That's the essence of Batman. He's dressing up as a bat. <laughs> Just yeah. fear. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know why this movie really brought out, and we kind of talked about this earlier. This really brought out a lot of the weird why is this the thing that it is criticism? You know, it's like go playing a Doom video game and going, a shotgun couldn't hurt an ethereal being. <laughs> ethereal <laughs> beings aren't even real. This is ridiculous. Right? Like, yeah. I get I get all superhero stuff on some level is fundamentally ridiculous, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's a mythology that you kind of have to, you know, suspend your disbelief to a pretty extreme level. But, like, that's all entertainment. I don't know why, you know, maybe maybe it's reality TV has gotten people fooled into thinking that doesn't happen across the board, right? I always give this example. One of our close buddies in college, he said, I can't get into Lord of the Rings because it's not real. And I said, no movie is real. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And so I just, to me, where you kind of draw these artificial distinctions, and everybody's got a line, right? Like, um... You know, I I don't know if you saw the preview for this newest Capcom game, 
where dinosaurs are coming through a black hole in the sky and you're in a mech and you've got to shoot them. Like can't get behind it. It doesn't sound real. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, t- I mean, it doesn't sound real, but I was also like, maybe that's just so ridiculous. I can't find myself enjoying it, but I probably will. <laughs> um, but yeah, with Batman, I, uh, I don't know, man. It's a big thumbs up. It's just, it's just there's not much to talk about outside of the look and the vibe, mm-hmm. because it's such a typical Batman story. But the good news is it's a typical Batman story, and like almost to a person, the performances were really exceptional. Um, yeah. And I guess so. The Penguin's going to get his own show. Okay. All right. We'll see how I feel about that. There's discussions about Catwoman, like doing more of a globetrotting thing. Like, uh, I think, I can't remember who did Catwoman win in Rome, but one of those kinds of stories. Um, But like, I guess they talked about doing a Gotham PD one, but of course, when you're talking about police violence, that's a really, (laughs) corruption, it's a really dicey, like topic to just go after. So I I understand the reticence there, but like uh, uh, the GCPD uh, comic book was really good in its day. It and was really good. Out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're seeking out if you get a chance. So anyway, Cameron, um, if someone would like to give uh, get in touch with you and discuss good Batman runs or their Elden Ring builds, where could they find you? <laughs> I need the builds, man. Uh, that's all <laughs> on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I am at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We'll check you guys next week. <laughs>